0: Uh, Fred is a private investigator and he founded a company called BNR Services for Professionals in 1968. And after 20 years, he got his private investigator's license. But that's not why he's here today. Fred traced his ancestors. If this is amazing to me, Fred traced his ancestors back as early as 1810. Of course, locating people is what private investigators do. But Fred became interested in his family history about 15 years ago, and he's since then located over an astounding 1,200 family members. That's the part I think is amazing. Some were survivors of the Holocaust, and with his newfound genealogy skills, Fred started volunteering for the International Red Cross Holocaust Tracing Service. And this is a service that locates and reunites families, uh, family members from Jewish, Polish, and Ukrainian Holocaust survivors. Since then, as a result of his work, he was recognized as their, the International Red Cross Holocaust Tracing Service's Volunteer of the Year Award. Very nice. Fred didn't stop there, though. The Remember Me Project of the United Holocaust Memorial Museum caught his eye, and he's going to tell you more about that. It is just impossible to imagine the horror of the Holocaust. It's unbearable to see children torn from their parents, never to be seen again. The pain is so deeply entrenched. Even though the ones who survived and were liberated um, almost 70 years ago, it's still painful. So today, Fred's going to discuss the path he traveled to locate not only his own family members, 1,200 of them, but to locate scores of others who survived the Holocaust in their families. So, Fred, our guests want to know more about how you got started as a PI, but first, since I promised and to lay some validation, please tell us about the Remember Me
2: Project. Thanks, uh, Francie. Um, well, several years ago, I was at a, a genealogy conference and... Uh, one of the keynote speakers' um, what presentations was the Remember Me project uh, by the United States Holocaust Memorial Museum. And uh, as soon as I saw this project, it immediately touched me. And I went to the museum and I said, I am pretty good at locating people and I'd like to volunteer.
0: Pretty, pretty good, yes. <laughs>
2: I that's true. Well, I have to backtrack. <laughs> Out of those 1,200 that I found, not all are, are living.
0: Well, of course, yes.
2: (laughs) uh, So I volunteered for the museum, and um, what the museum is trying to do is they have photographs of 1,187 children that were displaced uh, during the war uh, between 1933 and 1945. And after the war, uh, relief agencies would take photographs of these children. The majority of them were holding a chalkboard with their name on it. And then, toward the end of 1945, uh, during 46 and 47, uh, these photographs will be placed in newspapers all around Europe, trying to reunite these children with any family that may have survived mm-hmm. the war. Now, some 60, 70 years later, the museum is trying to locate these children. Uh, Of course, not all are living and trying to, they would like to memorialize their story. So I just felt that as an investigator and with the skill set that I have that I may be able to help them. And I've been relatively successful so far. And uh, the stories, once I find someone, I uh, turn them over to the museum. The museum interviews them and then their story is placed online and uh, their website If your listeners would like to view it, it is rememberme.ushmm.org.
0: Thank you for providing that. You might want to repeat it if you could, Fred.
2: Okay, it's rememberme.ushmm.org.
0: Okay, thank you. And this this is the museum that's in Washington, D.C.? Yes, it is. Okay, and uh, if, if any of our listeners have not been to that museum, it's, it's a must-stop if you ever get to Washington, D.C., it is, uh, but you have to plan on a day. You can't just go in there for five minutes. No, it, do- it,
2: it is a wonderful museum. It's very you know, overwhelming uh, to try and comprehend everything mm-hmm. that you see there. Um, you may be interested to know, uh, Francie, that recently I just worked on another case for the Holocaust Museum regarding a black woman that was caught up in the Holocaust who was an mm-hmm. American citizen. And it turned out to be a, a very interesting case and a very successful find as well.
0: And how did she get caught up in... The, in so she, was she in Germany?
2: Well, she was an entertainer, and she was in the Netherlands when the Nazis invaded, and she was an American citizen. Uh, she was a dancer. And uh, the Nazis arrested her as an enemy alien. And she was in a camp for almost two years. And um, while she was in the camp, she befriended a young Jewish girl. And eventually, this woman was traded for prisoners on a prisoner release. So she was only in the camp maybe two years or less. But before she left, this young Jewish girl who she, you know, sort of became her protector, she gave her a little gift of uh, an embroidered uh, handkerchief holder, Mm. and this young Jewish girl cherished this for the rest of her life, and before she passed away, she turned this handkerchief holder over to a friend who in turn... uh, turned it over to the museum, and the museum was interested in learning more about the story and to find the descendants of this black woman. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was able to find the descendants, and they've been in communication, and there'll be a story written up very soon about that. What
0: a cool thing to have happen. Now, what is a handkerchief holder?
2: Uh, it's something that, you know, from what I understand, that you know, fancy ladies carried these little embroidered holders for their handkerchief.
0: Huh.
2: Um, you know back in the 30s and the 40s
0: interesting what a great story that is and, and you know you I mean I, it struck me you said she was just in the in the camp two years <laughs> two years in a concentration camp has has to be
2: like a lifetime anyway yes yes um, yeah. we cannot comprehend what these people endured um, uh, just to speak about my own family, um, I knew nothing about my family being involved in the Holocaust until I started to doing my own family research really and, yes, and uh, you know i I grew up in a neighborhood uh, you know uh, a loving family, a lot of friends, and you know uh, a sheltered neighborhood and I knew i'm um, one of the baby boomers, and I knew nothing of really about the Holocaust until I got older and Then, when I started this research and I found that all these family members were destroyed, it really, you know, hit me hard in the gut. And I felt oh, that yeah. I, I needed to remember them and as well as, you know, help other people reconnect with family.
0: So, Fred, why is that? Is is it, why isn't it talked about more? Are, do people feel like it's a stain on their history or do they, or is it just so painful they don't want to think about it anymore?
2: Uh, it, it, I believe, and from talking to my relatives that survived, um, some talked about it, some didn't want to talk about it. Um, I had a cousin who recently passed away who was 94, who had an unbelievable memory. They lost his mother, father, sister, and two brothers in the Holocaust, mm-hmm. and he survived by hiding in the forest for 20 months, mm-hmm. uh, just on his wits. And he would speak about the Holocaust almost on a daily basis. Um, and I believe that speaking with me and having me come into his life gave him some peace that he was able to, to vent and express really mm-hmm. what he went through. To somebody that was really interested. Yes.
3: Mhm.
0: Yeah. Yes. I guess yeah, I can see that. And well, So you started this path. Where did you even start? When you?
2: (laughs) Well, ironically, you know, I started my business. I was a teenager, and uh, when I started my business, I had um, my father worked in the court system, and I started out just like basically as a messenger for attorneys. And one day, um, a woman came in to file some papers with my father. And when they saw each other, they fell into each other's arms. They hadn't seen each other in 20 years. They were first cousins. Mm -hmm. So my father said, uh, why don't you hire my son to do this? (laughs) So he was actually the secretary for her son, who is my second cousin. And as a kid, you know, I didn't pay any attention to this. So they hired me. I went to work for him. And then eventually he moved his office out of state. And I didn't see him again for 30 years and never thought anything about it until his firm uh in another state called me to do some work. And I went over for an appointment, and I said, I think uh, the lead partner may be related to me.
3: So, oh, my gosh. <laughs>
2: so he happened to be there. I went, and I introduced myself to him again. He didn't remember me. And I said, you know, I think we're related. And he says, how? And I said, you know, I don't know. But then that Put me on a mission. <laughs> yeah, and it turns out that you know we didn't know it, but our grandfathers were brothers. Oh my goodness! So I started researching all four branches of my family, and uh, that's where this led.
0: Oh my goodness! So that was so that was early on, though. So you that didn't was in 1998. start. Okay, that was nineteen ninety eight. Okay, so that's when you you did the genealogy training.
2: So yes. to speak, yes. and then got into it. Yes, I studied. Uh, I, I became self taught. And, um, you know, one of the amazing things that came out of this now, uh, the ses- second cousin that I just mentioned uh, was on my father's side of the family. Now, my father was deceased then, and the only grandparent that I knew who was, you know, who passed away when I was 19 was my mother's father.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And my mother is 94 today, doing today. well
3: today. Wow, that's great.
2: Yes, and um, I said, how can I do the genealogy on my father's side while well, not doing it on my mother's side? So when I started doing the genealogy for my mother's side of the family, that's when I uncovered all of the Holocaust survivors. But the most ironic, crazy thing about this was is that uh, my mother was in her 80s at the time, and I located that she had a 94-year-old aunt still alive, that Mm. they never knew about each other. Wow. Because my grandfather was the oldest of nine. He came to the United States in 1913 and had very little contact with the family again. He was the oldest of nine children, three boys and six girls. And two of the girls emigrated to Palestine in the 30s. And his youngest sister was still alive.
0: Wow and then what what did you do at that point?
2: Well, of course, I put my mother on an airplane
3: <laughs> of course
2: and uh, took her not only to Israel to meet her aunt but to Winnipeg, Canada to find her to to meet her first cousins that she had never known about and to this day we're still very close to them, and we keep uh, very much in contact with them
0: that's such a that's such a heartwarming story so so what happened when you got your mother to Israel?
2: This was is very bittersweet. Before we uh, arrived, we heard that her aunt became very ill, mm. and she went into a hospice. And mm. she was pretty much in a light coma, and they didn't know whether we were going to be able to meet her. Uh, the family told her that we were coming. Uh, we got to the hospice. Uh, we met her. She woke up. Spoke to my mother in Yiddish and passed away three days later. Amazing. It was amazing.
0: Now, did you find out she went into hospice while you were on the trip there or before yes. you left? Oh. you were actually on the trip.
2: Actually on the trip. Amazing.
0: Yes. Well, you know, they say people wait for things like that that they need to have closure on. They yes, just we say, brought, you know.
2: Right. We, actually, we also brought photographs that we had, old photographs of my mother with her. You know, her father and her sisters and we showed it to the daughter of uh my mother's aunt and she saw these photographs and said we had these pictures we never knew who the people were oh my
0: goodness <laughs> you know i have a bunch of pictures like that <laughs> i don't know who they are we need to take a break fred uh that that was private investigator fred bloom we will be back right after the break
1: NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on P.I.'s Declassified. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com.
0: Fred Bloom, a private investigator, has been discussing locating Holocaust survivors and the Remember Me project through the United Holocaust Museum. And now we just started talking about how he tracked down his own family members. So, Fred, you were just telling me about, um, right after you talked about locating your aunt in Israel, then you, then you have a Winnipeg story, Winnipeg, Canada story.
2: Yes. Uh, one of the things that I did when I was doing my research um, I was having a lot of difficulty working on my mother's uh, father's side of the family because um, there were name changes. The the last names were changed um, by some people. Um, Mainly, one of the stories I was told is that they changed their name because they didn't want a Jewish-sounding name because they endured such anti-Semitism, so they changed it to a French-sounding name.
3: Mm -hmm.
2: But when I was locating people, and, um, and one of the ways that I was able to locate family members in Winnipeg was by researching another family in Philadelphia that I thought was somehow related to my family, and I was able to pull uh, a, a will in the Register Will's Office in Philadelphia, and I found two people that were in the will, and one was in Winnipeg, and that led me to these relatives in Winnipeg. Mm-hmm. So um, we, of course, planned a trip. I took my mother to Winnipeg to meet her first cousins for the first time. And, Amazing. And uh, when we got to Winnipeg and we met each other, the family resemblance of my mother and her two <laughs> female cousins was astounding. Wow. Why? Because I learned that my mother's grandparents were first cousins. hmm but it gets better. Their fathers were twin brothers.
3: Oh, my
0: gosh. <laughs> wow. And that, and that often happened in those years.
2: Exactly. Yeah. Uh, for religious purposes and also uh, other reasons. In these very small towns over in Poland and, mm-hmm. and Russia, there was a town of maybe three, 4,000 people. There mm-hmm. weren't many women and husbands you know, to choose from. And that's that's how it happened. But this family in Winnipeg, um, it turns out that two sisters, their mother and father, were the only intact family to survive um, from the town that they, they were born in, and where my grandfather was born in. And they were hidden by a Ukrainian family that hid them under the kitchen in their house for almost two years.
0: You know, I can't, I can't even comprehend the fear that people that that helped the survivors. The right. people like his family talking about, I can't imagine the
2: fear they lived under all the time of being exposed. Now, what I've done is I tried to locate that family, but I haven't been able to in the Ukraine, but my other cousin that I mentioned before the 94-year-old, I was able to locate the family that sheltered him the last few months of the war before they were liberated. They hid him in, in her house. And what I did was I wrote up their story, and I sent it to Yad Vashem, which is the Holocaust memorial in Israel. Mm-hmm. And this Ukrainian family was honored by the museum as Righteous Amongst the Nations. Mm. Wow. Uh, you know, that saying, you save one person, you save the world.
0: You do, and you know that, I mean, we don't get, I think, we don't fully understand that that was a death sentence for people. Oh. We, we just not, cannot comprehend
2: what they yeah. went through.
0: And it's not just a death sentence. It's not an immediate death. It would probably have been torture death. Right. So, I, I, yeah, I just, I can't kind of get
2: my head around that. Neither can okay. I.
0: <laughs> so then where did you go after that? What did you do next?
2: Well, as I continued... Um you know, finding the—you know—researching, finding the family. We wound up, and we had a uh, a family reunion. I was able to locate 250 people to come to the reunion. How fun!
0: And <laughs>
2: we had it in your area. We had it in San Francisco. Did you? Yes. And um, what was really interesting for me is is that uh, my family was born Jewish, and generations back, it was Jewish. But there was intermarriage. And when we had the reunion, we had many people come to the reunion that found out that they had Jewish roots for the first time. Mm-hmm. It was really very interesting.
0: I'm, I'm sure. And, you know, it's wonderful when you put pieces together because it's often, the, it's a piece that just didn't fit somehow.
2: Correct. Yeah. I get and that. And we've, we've put a, a website together for the family. And uh, our family members can go on, and I've kept it private just for our family, and we update it, you know, with you know additions to the tree all the time.
0: Well, we, you and I were talking about this earlier, and I know that this is a, a private uh, website, and you. Honored me with allowing me to look at it, but it's amazing. It's just uh, as I was telling you, you—it was just amazing the way you have organized it, uh, not only by family but by issue within the family. Sure. And it's it's wonderful to to look at. It's I would love to have something like that for my family.
2: You got to do it.
0: <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, yes. I, I don't know how you did this, Fred. This was this is a volunteer effort, and you run a business. So, how did you find the time to do all this work? Well,
2: I am very lucky that I have been in business for quite a while, and I have wonderful people that work for me. I have uh, a staff that has worked. I have a half a dozen people that have worked for me for over thirty years.
3: Oh
0: wow!
2: So I'm I'm very blessed that way that I have good people that I can depend upon.
0: For sure, for sure. I that's, learned an expression great.
2: a long time ago, that the measure of success of a person is not how much work they do, but how much work they can get other people to do for you.
0: <laughs> that's probably true. That is my problem. <laughs> that's it. You've nailed it. Okay. So, um, so after you found your, your, your mother's direct relatives, then what did you do from that? Where did you go from there?
2: Well, I actually just kept working on all sides of, you know, four sides of my family, my four grandparents. Uh And some I was successful and some I was not successful. You know, I found uh, some very interesting people on on all sides of the family. And, I you know, I was able to gather stories and I really probably need to build another three websites. (laughs) Yeah, really. And
0: when when you had this family reunion in San Francisco, um, how many generations were there? Do you know? Uh,
2: yes, we had, uh, five generations. Wow. We That's had from great. an infant to, uh, one of my cousins who was in her nineties, mm. who was actually born in Europe. Wow. And everybody, uh, we had name tags and everybody was color coded from which branch, which ah. descendant they came from. I, I have three men that were all descended from that I was able to locate. And I'm never finished. I'm always looking for more information.
0: Yeah. for sure. So then you, um, you got involved with the International
2: Red Cross. Yes. Um, what happened was, um, you know, being getting involved with, with studying genealogy, I joined my local genealogy society. And um, the society got an email from the International Red Cross in Philadelphia that they were having difficulty uh, trying to locate a family that was in Philadelphia, and the last contact that was made with the family was 1941.
3: Okay.
2: And there was a relative from Europe that wanted to find out what happened to his father's family. Uh, so the Red Cross worked on this for quite a number of years and were hitting brick walls. So I said, I'm always up for a challenge. <laughs> so. I contacted the Red Cross. I met with the representatives. I think they were a little skeptical that I could do what I said that I could do, and within two weeks, <laughs> I had the case solved.
0: Good for you. <laughs> <laughs> and that's great. Well, I, and I, I just can't imagine, Fred, the obstacles that you run into because you mentioned changing their name in, in Canada, but that happened more often than not coming through Ellis Island.
2: Well, that's, that's a fallacy. No names no really? names No names were ever changed at Ellis Island. I'll really? repeat that. Yes. No names were ever changed at Ellis Island. That is a fallacy. And I'll explain to you why. Because the shipping company that were responsible to bring the immigrant over were also responsible to bring the immigrant back if they were deported, if they were not admitted to the United States, I should say, because they had an eye infection or, or they couldn't support themselves or whatever. The shipping company would prepare a manifest before the immigrant got on the ship. So when they arrived at Ellis Island or Philadelphia or Baltimore, um, Halifax, the clerks were merely checking names off a list. Now there could have been mistakes made when they were boarding the ship in Europe in number one of the any one of the ports in Liverpool, Hamburg, Bremen, Leibau. All these different ports, where the the person that was writing the manifest maybe could not understand the dialect of the immigrant, mm-hmm. and possibly wrote down a wrong name. Okay. The immigrant, when they got to the United States, when they wanted to become a citizen, that's when they would change their name if they wanted to make it more Americanized.
0: I see. That's interesting because because even um, my family Kohler, actually Kruller, and and. German, but my um, the people came from Russia, and they changed it to what I have today, which is looks nothing like the German name. (laughs) So, but but that didn't happen at Ellis Island. That's really interesting.
2: And you can Uh. actually go on the Ellis Island website and uh, find you know your relatives on the website if they came through Ellis Island. There's numerous other ports they could have come through. Uh, There's one website. That's a free website that, you know, your listeners may find very interesting that's not very well known. And that is stevemorse.org. S-T-E-V-E-M-O-R-S-E dot org. Now, Steve is a computer genius, and he's one of the inventors of the 8080 computer chip. And, uh, he's a genealogy buff. Uh And he was able to go into the Ellis Island database and the Philadelphia uh, port database and able to break down their code to make it easier for researchers. For example, Uh if you wanted to only look for German passengers coming into Ellis Island, you could do it just by checking off German. If you wanted to do Polish, you wanted to do Jewish, you wanted to do... Any, anything else, he has codes on there. Wow, that's great. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That makes, uh, makes it somewhat simpler, yeah, for it's sure.
2: A, it's a free website, but it links to some websites that may cost some money, but the Ellis Island uh, website is totally free.
0: Well, what was another port besides Ellis Island that people came into?
2: Oh, Philadelphia. Okay. Baltimore. Really? Yes.
0: You know, I, didn't, I guess I didn't realize
2: that my family came directly into Philadelphia.
0: Huh. Wow. Okay. You know what? We need to take another break. This is so interesting. We are discussing locating Holocaust survivors with Fred Bloom back after a commercial break.
1: The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on P.I.'s Declassified. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com
0: In his spare time, Fred Bloom, a skilled private investigator, works with the United Holocaust Museum and um, works to locate survivors of the Holocaust. And Fred, go ahead with what we were talking about. This is just uh, this is
2: great. Well, I was I was going through before that there are different ports uh, that passengers arrive through. Which you know there are many ports in the in the United States. There is Baltimore, Boston, Galveston, New Orleans, Philadelphia, uh, San Francisco. Um, Halifax, Nova Scotia. A lot of people came to, and then would cross the border from Canada to the United States. Mm-hmm. But of course, everyone is familiar with Ellis Island, and prior to Ellis Island, um, there was Castle Garden, which was basically at the same location.
3: And but,
0: why? And was it rebuilt, or why did the name change?
2: Yeah, well, it w- it was rebuilt, and um, Ellis Island really came into effect when the biggest wave of immigration was coming in to the United States. I mean, almost all of us can trace our ancestry through Ellis Island or one of those other ports. And when was the biggest wave? The biggest wave was really between um, 1880 and 1920.
0: Hmm. And and when the cause of that was the uh, the disruption in Europe and Russia?
2: Oh uh, yeah, mainly. You know, there were many pogroms in Russia, uh, as well as you know the conflict. Uh, you know, World War One. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a lot of people over in, uh, in Europe at that time.
0: And do you happen to know when, was the, when the majority of people, are, and that's not the way I want to word this, how many people were, came in, the most amount of people, I'm not wording this right, the most amount of people that came in at one time, do you happen to know that?
2: Uh, you may not. They, Ellis Island could process more than 1,000 people a day. Really? Yes. Yeah. Well, it uh,
0: flashes through my mind is, is pictures that we've seen from uh, the early 1900s of people waiting in line there.
2: Yes, I, I've actually been to the museum at Ellis Island. It's a wonderful place to visit. It mm. really gives you a big picture of what it was like, what the immigrants went through. Yeah. yeah I mean, I, 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 you know, I, I, another thing that I wanted to mention to you, Francie, is that, um, you know, my grandfather came to a strange country, not knowing the language. He arrived in April of 1913, didn't know what to expect here. He -hmm. built a life for himself and his four children. And, you know, because of my, you know, grandparents, I'm able to have the life that I have. That's right. And um, another reason, I I want to sort of honor his memory and and their memories by by doing this and not, you know, forgetting where I came from.
0: That's very cool, and and you know that I would say that's the story of the majority of Americans in some form or another, which is why immigration is such a hot issue, which we won't get into. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, uh, it's absolutely true. I mean, my husband's grandmother and grandfather were on a ship for six months. Six I mean, months. I mean, for, I shouldn't say it that way. They came, they came over on a ship, but from the time they left Russia to the time they got to the United States because of the different countries they had to go through to get here. Oh, yeah. and, and the ship was six months. Yes. Yeah, I believe with, that. You know, with their clothes on their back. Sure. You know, and a suitcase. Sure. So, yeah, it's, uh, there's so many stories. So, okay. So, what, con- what tips would you have for people that want to do this for their families?
2: Well, the first thing that I would do is to gather as much information on your family as possible and put it into one of the many um, family tree programs that are out there Uh, so you can gather your data and then interview your relatives, grandparents, aunts, uncles, cousins. Everyone is going to have a story.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And, you know, we know, you and know, I as investigators, you have to take careful notes, and you have to revisit your, your, your notes. Right. And you also should interview your relatives on more than one occasion. Because I know when I was speaking to my mother, I would, you know, ask her a question, she'd give me an answer, and then a few days later she'd call me, oh, I forgot to tell you this, and you, know, mm-hmm. you refresh my memory on this. Right. So. Uh, no, no different than interviewing a witness. Exactly. Exactly. And there are numerous, numerous uh, resources on the Internet and even in your own public library to uh, obtain information.
0: And do you have a favorite um, um, site that you would use to develop the family tree, or are are all of them pretty much uh,
2: equal? Well, I mean, the big dog out there, of course, is Ancestry.com.
3: Mm-hmm. They,
2: they've, you know, gathered the most information uh, out there. Uh, but as well as the Mormon Church, uh, familysearch, um, org has uh, a tremendous amount of information, and they've also... Um, I'm sorry, it's FamilySearch.org, I said that, right? It, there's also... They will now, if you find a record on your family, they will now email it to you at no charge.
0: Oh, that's interesting. I didn't yes. know that. Yes. Well, I, and as you know, I had Chris Utley on a couple of three weeks ago, who is a researcher from the Mormon Church, and he also gave that site as FamilySearch.org. Um, and it's it's pretty powerful search as well.
2: Yes, yes. It, 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 it's a really great site. Um, the Mormons go all around the world collecting public records and making them free of charge to everybody.
0: Well, and, you know, thank heaven for that, because they're being destroyed even in our own communities right. on a daily basis. Right. In fact, we can probably get more records from other countries than we can here <laughs> with, at this point, uh, going back years. But
2: I, I was actually able to get records out of, um, in my family areas now, the Ukraine. That uh, used to be Russia and partly Poland. Mm-hmm. And um, there are still records that are available, and there are... Uh, groups uh, that are indexing these records on a, on a daily basis. That's great. Yeah,
0: it's you know it's great to know because, you know, if we lose that history, we've lost so much. We don't even we don't even realize what we've lost if we lost that history.
2: And, That's correct. And uh, uh, also, you know, since um, the Red Cross also finally released the records from the Holocaust, they're now available at the Holocaust Museum. Uh, if any of the, your listeners had family members that were caught up in the Holocaust, that, you know, in one of the concentration camps, um, those records are now available.
0: Well, and that's a good point, Fred, because. Uh you wouldn't have to be Jewish to be have your family history be in the Holocaust Museum. It oh, could have been anybody that's in it. Would was captured.
2: Oh, correct. In camps. Uh, you know, I yeah. um, some of the cases that I worked on for the Red Cross in the beginning were for some Ukrainian families that were taken as uh, for slave labor. Hmm. Um, you know, the Nazis were ruthless in what they did. They were. Yes.
0: And I, and there and that's a. I guess that's a fallacy. I think most people assume that the Holocaust Museum is just about Jewish survivors and about that, the, about the con- concentration camp regarding Jewish people,
2: and that's just not true. That's As correct. your
0: Your example about the black woman that was c- caught up in,
2: in this. Yeah, and I understand, and I hope my information is correct, that they are actually uh, getting an exhibit together on um, black people that were caught up in the Holocaust.
0: Oh, that's great. Yeah. That's great. So, how do you know how many, as uh, is, is the right word, nationalities are um, incorporated in the Holocaust Museum?
2: That, that I don't have that information. I'm sorry. No.
0: I'm sure there's many, though, if you think about it. That, oh you, yes, this, yes. This we're talking about Ukrainians, Polish people, Jewish people, uh, Black people. You know, I'm oh so sure. sure. I mean,
2: the Nazis every country they went into uh, conquered. You know, Greece, Czechoslovakia, um, Russia. Everywhere they went, you know, in Belgium, France, everywhere.
0: And, Fred, how do you respond, do you, or do you even run into this, when people say, well, the Holocaust didn't really happen? There's that whole weird thing that goes around. Yeah,
2: I, I, I <laughs> you know, I don't even deal with people like that. I won't, yeah. won't even listen to them because, you know, I have actually traveled um, back To Europe. I went to the areas where my family lived, where there's no remnants anymore of any Jewish community. Uh I, I, you know, I, I, I went to the former death camp of Belzec. Uh huh. I found the site where there's bodies buried in a mass grave where the Nazi Einsatzgruppen just shot people and buried Mm -hmm. them in a pit. I saw these places. They existed. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yes, I know. I've been there. Been to some of those camps as well, and it's um, and the interesting thing to me is you can still feel the evil in the atmosphere. Yes, yes. Um, in fact, I just recently talked to a guy. One one of the camps has been turned into a, a medical training facility. Interestingly enough, yes. interesting, <laughs> and, and he said the same thing. He just came back from doing all of his medical training.
2: Uh, at this place, I think
0: in Poland. And right. um, he said, you can still feel
2: it. Yeah. There were many, many camps there. and Not, not all were death camps, but there were many concentration camps. And uh, I don't have time for bigotry or anti-Semitism. And mm-hmm. just recently, um, which really upset me, was the crowning of uh, our new Miss America is an immigrant, an Indian immigrant. And yeah. People that have been on Twitter and saying all these horrible things about her, well, their families were immigrants as well. That's right. That's exactly right. So I don't have any time for ignorant people.
0: Good. I'm right there with you, Fred. (laughs) Okay. So uh, back to, uh, do you have any other tips that you'd like to give our listeners about uh, doing these kind of searches?
2: I would recommend it almost every, you know, in the I can speak for the United States and also around the world. There's local genealogy societies everywhere. And if you're interested, go to a meeting, learn what's going on. There are people there that will always help you um, at at my meetings we have we spend like a half an hour before time uh to mentor people. We ask people if they have brick walls they're running into. And we try and give them some guidance.
3: Mm-hmm. Uh,
2: more and more records are coming online, so it makes it easier. Right. Uh, also very important, as we just touched on before, uh, when you're doing this type of research, you have to think outside the box with the spelling of names and the spelling of towns because mistakes were always made in, in the records.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Now... A wonderful source to look at are census records in the United States. And a year, about a year and a half ago, the 1940 census went online. And one of the stipulations from the government is that it must remain free and must be in digital format. So you can go to various websites and look at the 1940 census and look for your parents, or your grandparents, or your you know, your cousins, your aunts and uncles in the census, and it gives you a lot of information where they lived, who they lived with, what street they lived on, Hmm. their occupation, so you can get a picture of your family.
0: And is, so there is not a a census website, that's incorporated into these other websites?
2: Uh, Yes, well, uh, there's genealogy.com, there's myheritage.com, there's you know, as I said, Ancestry. dot com. They're all the census records are all there, and they're all free. FamilySearch.org, dot org, the Mormon site. Okay. The nineteen forty so census is there. Okay,
0: so they've all incorporated the census into there. Yes. So if if so, is there a place that you can go to that's a government site for the census?
2: Uh, I have to look up real quickly what the. Um, what that website would be. Um, But I wanted to mention that the census was taken every 10 years, and starting back to 1790, they're all available on um, various websites. And Uh um, actually here I just found, um, if your listeners want to go to the government website, it's 1940census.archives.gov. It's totally free, oh, okay. and you can view the 1940 great. census. The prior censuses are on some of the pay sites. They go all the way back to 1790. Uh, unfortunately, the 1890 census, it, there's not very much there because there was a fire, and they lost a lot of the census from 1890.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: But some states mm-hmm. do survive.
0: You know, and it's so important. I, I know that a lot of times when the census is being taken, um, people aren't reporting the accurate information or or who's living at the household and all those things. And it, and it becomes such a historical, significant item when they don't participate. I understand why people don't, but at the same time, uh, if you're looking at it, you know, 100 years later, it,
2: it's an important area. I don't know if that was really the case um yeah, I think it might be the case now, but it may not be the case back then. That, yeah, I think, yeah uh, that's what
0: I mean. It's think the immigrant,
2: you know, that yeah. came, respected the government, and appreciated being here.
0: Right, yes, that's what I meant. I, I'm talking yeah. about today's census yes. versus yes. what used to happen. Okay, and, we need to take one.
2: Go ahead. No, I was just going to say that uh, today's census does not give you a lot of information. I'm kind of disappointed that, you know, if somebody's looking for me 100 years from now. They won't learn very much about me.
0: Well, then, that's a sad thing. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> <laughs> they need to know about you. <laughs> we need to take another break, Fred. We'll be right back. I'm back with today's guest, Fred Bloom from Philadelphia, private investigator, who's an expert researcher in finding survivors of the Holocaust. So, Fred, where do you want to go from here? If you, if you had three things that you wanted to accomplish with your research, what would it be?
2: Well, uh, um, you know, I wanted to mention to you that I am, you know, I put this website together and I'm still constantly gathering information and documents, I want to be able to pass it on to future generations so they understand where we came from Mm -hmm. as I'm learning where I came from. Mm -hmm. And I want to be able to use it as a teaching tool for future my grandchildren, great-grandchildren on down. For
0: sure. Now, uh, we talked about it being on a website, and I'm sure you must have it backed up, right? Yes. Someplace. And, And how are you backing it up?
2: Well, now it's so much media is so you know inexpensive. I can I'm backing it up to flash drives and I'm backing it up to another hard drive.
0: Mm-hmm. And do you also keep it in the cloud as well? Uh,
2: I have not done that yet, but that I believe is the future.
0: Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. This is this is amazing. So. What else do you want to do? I know you want to expand. One thing I want to mention that I thought was just really important that you just said on the break, Fred, is I ask you if your mem- family members could log in their own information. You said, no, it has to come to, to you and your son, and you verify it before you put it in. That's really important because I was thinking about everybody logging in their own information. Correct. So I think that's a,
2: an interesting uh, observation. Correct. Um, one of the interesting things that I've done is that I've made – Besides looking at pieces of paper, I've um, had the ability to travel the world to meet some of my relatives. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I've been to Norway, to Vienna, to Israel, to France, uh, and even Clarksville, Arkansas, <laughs> to meet relatives.
0: <laughs> and even Clarksville, Arkansas. Yeah. <laughs> that's great. And San Francisco, by the way. Oh, that's correct. I have <laughs> a lot of relatives San in San
2: Francisco that I never <laughs> knew about.
0: Yeah, 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 and Canada, and Canada as well. Yeah, and when you go, that now when you go to say another country, another city, do you go look at records while you're there?
2: Uh, well, the problem that I have is I only speak English, and when I started yeah. when I started doing this research, my grandfather's records were in German, and I said I need some help with this, so I had to hire a researcher in the beginning. Um, there are translation tools, but I find that it's easier for me to hire a researcher in that country than I want to find records.
0: Mm, mm-hmm. That makes sense. Yes. And, and is that expensive? What, what do you run into with that?
2: Uh, it, it, it can be expensive, but it could also be reasonable. I have uh, a researcher that I use in Ukraine, and his rates are very reasonable. hmm and uh, he is constantly on the lookout, if he's at another archive, looking for my family name to see if there's anything there that would connect with my family. Yeah.
0: Do you want to give your family name in case anybody's listening that might have information?
2: Well, my family name was Schrage, S-C-H-R-A-G-E. Um, it could also be pronounced as Shraga. And that's okay. the my mother's father's family. My mother's okay. name is Shrage. Okay. And um, that's where the 1,200 relatives are on that tree. Yeah,
0: that's great. Yeah, and, and like I say, I, that the way you set that up, uh, it's so, with your different categories, uh, it's so well done and so uh, user-friendly. I guess is the main thing, is user-friendly for for your family members to go on and, and, you know, learn more about the family. It's just
2: fabulous. It was a collaboration, you know, with, you know, my son, myself, and uh, one of my cousins in Winnipeg who uh, loves to write. And he did the majority of the writing.
0: And do you have anything now that you're working on with the museum
2: uh, there's a few cases that are, that are hanging open that, um, I have to do a little more research on. One of them, uh, that's, you know, I'm at a roadblock, um, is in New York. And when I get to New York, I have to go to the archives to try and see if I can learn more information about this person that I'm trying to find.
0: Okay. Do you feel comfortable mentioning the name?
2: Uh, the person I'm looking for? hmm Yeah, her name is Nina Krieger. K R E I G E R. K R E I G E R? -R. Yes.
0: And Nina is N I N A? Yes. Okay. And um, what do you know about her background?
2: Well, um, obviously, she came from Europe. She should, it's very possible that she could still be alive. Mm-hmm. Um, but where I'm getting stuck is that I believe she got married, so I need to find her married name. So that would require my going to the archives to look at the marriage records. And, you know, I know when she was born, so I have, a, I think, an approximate age when she may have gotten married. So I have a time frame to do that research in.
0: And about how old would she be today?
2: Uh, I believe she would be in her 70s.
0: In her 70s, Okay. Okay. Well, maybe somebody's listening that knows Nina Krieger. That yeah. would be That would fabulous. be terrific. That would be terrific. So when you run into an obstacle, how do you get around the obstacles? Because I, you must hit those brick walls fairly oh. frequently.
2: Oh, Constantly. Um, what I usually do is I will take a break from it and then revisit it a few days later. And you know, just see if I'm I'm forgetting an avenue to look at, if mm-hmm. I'm not looking in in the right archive, on the right website, um, the right library to try and find the information.
3: Do you
0: have uh, some kind of a checklist that you go down to make sure you cover all your bases?
2: It's all in my head. <laughs> it's all in your head. <laughs> yeah, I, I, you know, there was a uh, a story that I did for the Red Cross. Um, there was a movie Sarah's Key. I'm not sure if you remember the movie.
0: Yes, I know about the movie. Okay,
2: well, I located a, 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 a young girl who was involved in in that roundup of the Jews in, in Paris, France. She came to the United States in 1946, and the only thing I had on her is I could find her ship manifest and what she did for a living. And I'm racking my brain. I couldn't find her in any other website. And uh, I took a break and I'm lying in bed at 11 o'clock at night. I said, oh, my, I forgot to check this one website. And I went to that one website, and lo and behold, I found her, which gave me her married name, and I was able to locate her.
0: I was just going to ask you if you wake up in the middle of the night remembering (laughs) something you forgot. I do. Yeah, I'm sure that's true. It's rummaging around in your brain, and you wake up with a clue.
2: And now with my smartphone, I just put a memo in there (laughs) to do it later. Right, there
0: you go. You don't get up and get on your computer at 3 o'clock in the morning. I've done that, but. <laughs> I can see that. I can I can definitely see that. Um, so, it looks like we're almost at the end of the hour, Fred. Thank you so much. You are a delightful guest. I love what you're doing. I love what the Holocaust Museum is doing. And if there's listening, thank you for finding Fred to work on your, your cases because he's he's certainly a treasure
2: well so i I appreciate the time and and i thank you for uh, letting me share a little bit with your uh, audience
0: er, absolutely and special thanks to pi magazine for their faithful sponsorship of this show guests for the upcoming weeks will be
1: you've been listening to pi's declassified with your host Francie kaler NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on P.I.'s Declassified.